I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. I thought that if I keep being honest about how terrified I am, then maybe the terror would dissipate. And I think in some instances, if I don't talk about things that are truly emotional to me, then I'm calm. And I was thinking about the tenor of my voice, and I was like, wow, your voice is only shaking when you talk about your parents and about what they went through. See? (laughs) What the heck? I've had all this therapy. (laughs) Two decades of therapy. Minjin Lee is the author of Pachinko and Free Food for Millionaires, both novels about the generational experiences of Korean immigrants. Speech, memory, and the power to tell one's story. For Minjin Lee, these are not abstract philosophical ideas. They are doorways leading her back to the process by which, after great struggle, she was able to find her own voice, first as a profoundly shy Korean girl growing up in America, and eventually, as the exceptional novelist she became. I'm John Burnham Schwartz, literary director of the Sun Valley Writers Conference, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our podcast, Beyond the Page. I wanted to give this talk because, for those of you who don't know, I've always had a very serious problem talking. And recently I was asked by the New York Times the question, what is power? And I thought about the thing that I wanted more than anything as a child, as a young person throughout my life. And I thought I would write about not what is power, but why I wanted this power. So I thought I would share that with you today. It makes sense that I'm a writer, which allows me to draft and to hesitate and then to rewrite many times before I say anything that I could live with for good. And in 1976, my mother, my father, my two sisters, and I immigrated to the United States. And I was seven. And we moved 
from Seoul to New York City. And dad enrolled my two sisters and me at PS 102 in Elmhurst, Queens. And none of us girls knew how to speak English. And even back in Seoul, I was a very quiet child who fidgeted and had attention issues. I found school and friendships very difficult. And it got worse when I moved to a new country. And the first few weeks in America were tough. And there was one other Korean girl in the class. And like me, she had small eyes. And unlike me, she knew English. And she had friends. And she wanted nothing to do with me. And one day, in class, I needed to go to the bathroom. And I didn't know what to do, or certainly what to say. And the Korean girl grimaced when I approached her. But mercifully, she told me to raise my hand and to say this word, bathroom. Bathroom. So I said this foreign word, bathroom, and all the children laughed. And the teacher handed me a very well-worn wooden block, which served as the hall pass. And I rarely spoke in school again, except for when I needed permission to go to the bathroom. And the years that followed were not very different. I did my work, and I looked forward to being with my sisters, who protected me. And I learned to read English. And I made my way through school and through shelves and shelves of borrowed books from the Elmhurst Public Library. Now, in the first year in America, my father ran a newspaper stand in the lobby of a very dingy office building. And then, later, my parents had a tiny wholesale jewelry store in Manhattan that sold costume jewelry to street peddlers and to gift shops. And they worked six days a week. At junior high school 73 in Maspeth, New York, I had a wonderful teacher. And his name was Mr. Richard Sosis, who taught law. And he selected me as a classroom monitor he allowed his monitors to have lunch in the classroom. And I don't know if he knew this, but he rescued me from the terror of the middle school lunchroom. And from the reality that I did not know how to act around children my own age. I had other very fine teachers there. And I started to talk a little bit more. I did production work for a school play. And when the actor dropped out, I was given her role because I had unconsciously memorized all of her lines. And then for my law class, I participated in a mock trial. And I was not awful. 
As Flannery O'Connor once said about writers and experience, anybody who has survived her childhood has enough information about life to last her the rest of her days. Of course, some of that early information comes to us from books. For Min Jin Lee, speaking in public was a torturous undertaking. Reading, on the other hand, offered her a lifeline to worlds she could explore without fear of humiliation. Still, she couldn't help noticing that the heroes of the Western novels she was devouring were very different from the people she had observed as a young girl in Korea. I got into the Bronx High School of Science, where my older sister went, and I made up my mind that I had to learn how to talk well. As a child immigrant, I had read straight through, straight through Lois Lenski, Maud Hart Lovelace, Beverly Cleary, and Judy Bloom. And then through Dickens and Hemingway, and Austin and Sinclair Lewis and Dostoevsky. Books recommended by good-hearted librarians and teachers. Now, in Western books, heroes spoke well, and they could handle any social situation, not just through action, but through argument. Now, in Korea, a girl was virtuous, if she sacrificed for her family or her nation. But in the West, a girl was worthy if she had pluck and if she could speak up even when she was afraid. As a kid, I had watched Koreans criticizing a man for being all talk and no work. In America, a man was considered stupid or weak if he couldn't stand up for himself. Both things were true. I did not want to talk. And I didn't want anyone to think I was stupid. In my freshman year, I joined the debate team. I could hardly manage group conversations with my peers. But I reasoned it was necessary to learn how to argue. Debate felt almost impossible. I was a terrible debater. But that was better than nothing. I did it for one year before quitting. And then one day, I noticed a poster in the hallway for the summer classes at the Hotchkiss School, which allowed electives that Bronx Science did not have. And I sent away for a catalog, and I found a class on public speaking. And I asked my parents for the money so I could take this class. And they gave it to me, even though it must have been a lot for them. At Hotchkiss, the teacher gave us assignments, like tell a long joke. 
<laughs> Explain a piece of art and persuade the listener to an unpopular position. I told a long joke and nobody laughed. <laughs> I was not very good. But I was starting to understand rhetoric. And for the following summer, I mailed away for another catalog, this time at Phillips Exeter Academy, and I took another public speaking course. And when I went to Yale for college, I was outclassed by my peers who had attended the private schools that I had visited during the summer. And they spoke with ease and elegance about music and art and faraway places and wrote beautiful papers about books I had not yet read. And some knew Latin and Greek. And I stumbled through my classes and ill-advised romantic encounters. <laughs> take a lot of time. <laughs> I majored in history, and without a clear plan, I went to law school at Georgetown. Not once did I consider being a litigator, because that seemed like professional debating. I thought that I would be better suited as a corporate lawyer, and I figured I should try to be financially better off than my parents, who worked throughout the year without breaks in an underheated store, scrimping to pay their greedy landlord who refused to kill the rats in their basement. For some people, power is external and public, something to profit from and be wielded against those who don't have it. It's about ownership. But for Min Jin Lee, as for so many immigrants who struggle to find their voices in the clamor of those who were there before them, power, like literature, is above all personal, even existential, a journey of hard, private discovery that will last a lifetime. Now, after my first year at Georgetown, I went to the career services office because I had to learn how to interview, a job interview. And the career counselor, an older white woman, said to me in the gentlest possible way, you need to boast about how great you are. You are an Asian girl. And when you boast, you're playing against the stereotype of the meek oriental. Your interviewer will never think that you're bragging. I didn't give this advice to pushy white men. <laughs> Now, she was telling me in the kindest way of how the world might see me. I had to talk. And I had to build myself up, because others might see less than there was. And though I couldn't 
really do what she said? I never forgot her gracious words to me. When I first sold my first novel, I was no longer a lawyer, and I was 38 years old. And in preparation for this tiny book tour, my publisher hired a media trainer for me <laughs> to coach me for two hours. And the trainer had written a book. So I read it, and I learned that each event is about the audience. And this idea helped a lot because no matter how afraid I was, I could forget myself and focus on everyone else. I write novels, and now and then I give talks. I come from many tribes, immigrant, introvert, <laughs> working class, Korean, female, public school, Queens, Presbyterian. And growing up, I never knew that people like me could write books and talk in public. <laughs> to this day, I worry that if I mess up, others like me might not be asked or allowed. This is how outsiders feel and how newcomers feel. It is neither rational nor fair, but this is true. I am 50 years old, and after more than four decades of living in the West, I realized that like writing, talking is painful because we expose our ideas for judgment for evaluation. However, writing, writing like talking is powerful because our ideas may indeed have value and our ideas may require expression. As a girl, I did not know I had this power, yet this is my power now. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Page. To hear Min Jin Lee's unedited talk, to explore the free archive of Sun Valley Writers Conference recordings, and to learn more about the conference, please visit svwc.com. I'm John Burnham Schwartz. Thanks so much for listening. Beyond the Page is produced by John Burnham Schwartz and James Tooley. Original music by Dean Grinsfelder and production support provided by Jay Shilliday, Michael Neese, and the Network Studios. Music